Aaron David, beautiful anthem, and saw the name of Joseph Martin there. I had a chance to meet him in a previous appointment. Such a delightful and talented guy, and such a beautiful piece of music. It's good to see you. Welcome to worship at noon and first this morning. We've got a few empty. I don't know what it is about these front outside seats down here, but. Uh, they're really safe places to sit. There's not a problem. But, uh, but I know a lot of our folks from looking at the Facebook post and emails and other things, I'm surprised anybody's here. I thought you were all in Colorado skiing this week. And uh, so I'm glad not everyone is there. I hope all those folks find their way home safely. And it's a joy to be here and be together with, uh, with all of you on this Sunday. Our scripture lesson, it was not the Old Testament lesson in the lectionary. I chose another one. I felt led to use this passage today. But it is from the book of the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31, beginning with verse 31. A new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31 and following. The days are surely coming, says the Lord. We'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of God for the people of God. Continuing the series, Going Home by Another Road, we started on January the 6th when the wise men showed up to worship the Christ child and were warned in a dream to go home by another road because wicked King Herod had some evil plans in mind. And that's where we got the title. That's where I got the theme, going home by another road. January the 13th was the baptism Sunday of our Lord, the service road. Jesus was baptized not to cleanse from any sin, but to place his feet on the service road. It was the beginning of his ministry, a road we're called to travel too often it is the road less traveled. On January the 20th, we talked about back roads and interstates and how some of us enjoy the back roads, the little towns and villages and the things you miss on the interstate, like, for instance, the little village of Cana, where Jesus transformed the water into wine and showed us the gracious abundance of our God. On January 27th, remember, we talked about the spirit control GPS, the God positioning system, the Holy Spirit that nudged Jesus and directed him back to the region of the Galilee, the town of Nazareth, the synagogue in Nazareth, where he would teach and preach that day. And then February the 3rd, going home again. Can we do that? When Jesus was at home in the synagogue at Nazareth, something he said, some stories he told out of the Old Testament really ticked off the crowd there, and they were ready to take him up on top of the hill and throw him down against the stones. Made them mad. Can we go home again? This is Joseph's boy, but still. And then last Sunday, February the 10th, we talked about me, take that road, 
the call of Isaiah, the prophet. And I talked to you a little bit about my own call to ministry and how that's an ongoing thing. And we'll continue, I pray, for a while to come. And I ask you to examine your heart and your call. Where is God leading you? To a deeper level? A new dimension of lay ministry? Or perhaps God's tapped some of you to consider ordained ministry? And Vince and Maria and I would love to talk with you about that. But for today, I want us to think about inner roads, ways of the hearts, the inside roads, those roads that all connect up inside the perimeter, so to speak. Can we take those inner roads of the heart and find our way through the hard and difficult times that will come our way sooner or later and maybe come the way of our families and maybe come the way of the church from time to time? Hard times. I like listening to folk who are older than I am talk about hard times. And one of the things that I've discovered recently is that there are fewer and fewer of those folks who are older than I am. But what I like is hearing folks who are older tell about how they coped with hard times, and it never ceases to amaze me how many funny stories are given birth in times that are considered hard or difficult. Maybe not when we're going through those times, but looking back, we can laugh about things that that happen. And a sense of humor, I believe, is a gift from God. It's like a shock absorber. And without it, it's a pretty rough road. So I hope we can laugh not at others, but at ourselves and at some of the circumstances in this world. Heard about a really older guy who was reminiscing one day about hard times that they went through back during the Depression, like, times his family coming up they didn't have much said his mother cut a picture of a ham out of a magazine tied a string through one end of that picture punched a hole in it hung it on a single fixture light bulb above the kitchen table and then she would swing that picture back and forth and they would all sit around the table and sop the shadow Uh, hard times didn't have much things might be going well around us but sometimes at work or at school or at home we bump into some hard times we see folks mistreated and hurt and abused we we see folks get crossways with each other and then sometimes even in our own hearts and in our own heads hard times we can't figure out how to make sense of this life. And too many folks give in and and give up. The best of times can be hard times for us. Now, there are the larger hard times we talk about that are characterized by war and economic depressions and loss of dignity and loss of freedoms. Let your mind drift back over recorded history. When were the worst of times, the hardest times? Maybe 2,600 years ago, give or take a century or so, when God's people, the Hebrew children, were taken into exile by the Babylonians. Talk about hard times. Can you imagine being forced to leave your home, your land, your property, everything you own, being forced to walk away from family and friends and everything that was precious and meaningful to you, just walk away? You're being taken away. Can't take any of it with you. Hard times. And it was during these hard times, about 2,600 years ago, that the prophet Jeremiah 
came upon the scene and started to preach and teach and write. It was a time of great political crisis, economic crisis, social crisis, just a tough time, hard time, spiritual crisis, an age of transition. But whenever I hear that expression, I have to ask myself, well, has there ever been an age that wasn't an age of transition? Isn't that life? And then I remember the story about Adam and Eve being evicted from the Garden of Eden. And um, Adam turns to Eve on the way out and says, My dear, we live in a time of transition. (laughs) Hasn't it always been that way? So if you'll go back with me now about 2,600 years to a place a long way from here, a faraway place. We won't stay long. I promise we'll get you back in time for lunch or whatever is next on your calendar today. But I want to hurry and get started because I understand that the prophet Jeremiah is called a news conference and people are beginning to gather. There are a few seats left in the gallery, the peanut gallery maybe it is, in the back of the press room for ordinary folks to drop in and and listen in. The atmosphere is one of fear and anticipation. There's conversation among the folks, among the press on the front row and among all the other folks who are gathered there. They are tense and they're anxious and Jeremiah's reputation has preceded him as the prophet of the Lord, as the spokesperson, the press secretary, so to speak, for God. His credentials are solid. He's considered reliable, straight shooting. He gets along pretty well with most of the general public. He'd never have called us together if he didn't have something significant to say. All the folk were, were saying and the conversations were going and... Um, Considering the times we're living in, it can't be good news. That's what everyone was saying. Had the covenant come to an end? Was this to be the final chapter in God's history with God's people? Was it over with? Had their disobedience, their disagreements, their disappointments, which to a great extent were responsible for their being in this predicament in exile, going through hard times, had their disobedience and all these other things finally sealed their fate. Was it over? Suddenly there's an eerie silence on the floor. All the reporters have found their seats. The footsteps of the prophet can be heard echoing down the long hallway, and then the curtains are parted, and Jeremiah's on his way to the podium. There's a slight swishing sound as he pushes back the curtains and steps through. He enters the room. His physical appearance had been described by many as average. But there was more to him than that, especially those eyes. People talked about those eyes like they could see right through you, like they were huge picture windows to the fire and the passion and the soul of this prophet. And there he stood in front of the people. His eyes wide opened, his heart wide open, a conviction in his heart that he was to set forth God's word, regardless of the cost. He stood behind the podium. He unrolled the small scroll in which he had taken a few notes in his own handwriting, and he placed it on the podium before him, and he began to speak. Behold, look. Listen, pay attention. Prophets love to go around saying, behold. It's not a word we use a lot anymore. It's not a word we use when we're correcting children. Behold. Tighten up. You better look out. Behold. It's a good word. 
I like the word behold. Look, listen, pay attention. What I'm going to say to you, Jeremiah seemed to be saying, is the most important thing you've ever heard. Don't disregard this. You need to hear it. Behold, the days are coming. And about that time, one of the reporters on the front row who was known for jumping up and being rude and interrupting, jumped up and jumped to his feet, interrupts the prophet, excuse me, sir. Did I hear you correctly? The days are coming. Is that what you said? And Jeremiah says, yeah, that's what I said. You can quote me on that line. Pardon me again, sir, but we've all been waiting here expecting you to lower the boom on us right now. Not in the days to come. What's that days to come stuff all about? We could have all stayed home wallowing in our own misery if you're not going to tell us what's going to happen to us right now. Why are you clogging up our brains with tomorrow's problems. We got enough stuff without that. If you'll just sit down, Jeremiah said, and put a lid on it for a minute, and let me finish this opening statement, there is a slim chance that I might clear up some of your confusion. If not, you can ask another one of your obnoxious questions. But not now. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the nation, the house of Israel, the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, but my covenant was broke. Though I was their husband, I was their master, said the Lord. As the last word of this opening statement was passing between the lips of the prophet, everyone in the large room there in the press room breathed a huge sigh of relief, a collective sigh of relief. Apparently this was not the end. God was not ready to give up on God's people. God had not abandoned these chosen folks. He was not ready to say you're hopeless and you're helpless and that's it. Not yet anyway. Instead of us terminating the people, terminating his covenant with the people that he had chosen, God was preparing to institute a new covenant. And this covenant, Jeremiah said, would be unlike any covenant that had ever been proclaimed. It would be new, unlike any God had ever initiated. Do you remember some of those old covenants? There was the covenant made with Noah and his sons after the flood. I establish my covenant with you, God said, and no more shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall the flood destroy the earth. And then a covenant with Abraham when Abraham was 99 years old. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Telling that to a 99-year-old guy. Of course, there's a covenant made at Mount Sinai that Jeremiah referred to in his opening statement to the press. God was speaking to Moses and he said, have you seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself? Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my prized possession among all peoples, for the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Listen up now, there's another reporter standing on the floor, and let's see if we can, can hear her question. She's asking the prophet this, Mr. Jeremiah, sir, you said that the new covenant would be 
unlike any of the old covenants. Just exactly what would be different about it. And Jeremiah said, well, finally, a good question and a fair question. Let me preface my answer with these remarks. All past covenants have come at times that have been critical in the lives of the people. And being familiar with the history of the people since the beginning of time, since before Noah, Jeremiah can unequivocally state that there had never been a more important, critical time in the life of the people than right now. We're living in hard times, he said. The Hebrew nation and individual circumstances, family circumstances, things are making it tough for so many. Now, ma'am, your question was, in essence, what makes or will make the new covenant so new? Is that right? Okay, let me answer your question by first pointing out there are similarities, many similarities between the old covenants of God and, and the new covenants. Like all covenants of the past, this one will make provision for really knowing the Lord God of Israel more closely. It's not like God always chooses to wrap God's self, to cloak God's self in mystery in the clouds far away and to maintain that distance. Aloof, apart from the people that God loves and cares for. Also, like past covenants, this one will be a constant reminder that God wants to always forgive the ways of his wicked people and remember their sin no more. And then there's that obnoxious reporter voice again. Sir, sir, what is it now? Can't you see that I'm still in the process of answering your colleague's question because it was a really good question? But, sir, this won't keep. Did I hear you say something about the Almighty having a memory problem? Is the Ancient of Days becoming forgetful? You heard me say that a feature of this new covenant has also been a feature of some of the past covenants. God's desire to forgive folks for their evil thoughts, words, and deeds, and to remember their sin, their brokenness, no more. I guess I did say that God is forgetful about some things. But what you need to understand, brother, is this. You ought to be happy that God doesn't remember at all. That when God forgives, God forgets. We can't pull that off as people very easily. But God forgives our sins and remembers them no more. Praise God for a forgetful God. Do I make myself perfectly clear and the reporter said crystal clear sir and he sat down and now ma'am before I was so rudely interrupted let me see if I can answer your question about what makes the new covenant different actually it's very simple what makes this covenant different is that God is going to write it not on a scroll not in a book not on a stone tablet but God is going to write this new covenant on our hearts an internal writing on our hearts, putting his law and his love within us. And the senior reporter jumped to his feet, and he had been around a long time because he called Jeremiah a young whippersnapper. He said, you just can't drop something like this on us without spelling out the implications. What does this mean for us? What does it mean that God is going to dip God's finger in an ocean of ink and write something on our hearts? What does that mean? And Jeremiah said, sir, you've been around a long time. You've been at this business over 50 years. 
If you had been born with the knowledge of a covenant such as this, you would still be learning new implications about what it means, about how wonderful it is and how it will change our lives forever. I don't know what all the implications will be, but there are some aspects of it I do understand. The newness of this new covenant is a gift. The capacity to be faithful and obedient. As you know, the will is located in the heart. And as hard as we try, we just can't seem to do the right things and to stay faithful to our God. Consequently, the special gift here is the will, the capacity written within us to be faithful. Not in our strength, but in God's strength. So God promises through this new covenant to change us from the inside out, not from the outside in. That's not worked so well. A new sinner, this covenant will overcome the conflict between wanting to do one thing and ending up doing something else. With this new covenant, we will act as if we were owned and possessed by God without even thinking about it. There will still be hard times. There will always be hard times for some folks. And for all folks, sooner or later, there'll be hard times. But you can find a place apart. Look into your hearts. Read what God has written there. And don't worry about what language God may have written it in. God only speaks and writes in one language, and that's the language of love, and you can comprehend that. So let's come back now to this day. It's almost time to go. But before we leave, I want to encourage you, take a peek, take a sneak peek now. Take a long look later into your heart and see what God's written there. New Covenant. It probably reads something like this. I am yours and you are mine, says the Lord. And it's been sealed, not with a kiss, but with a cross. Inner roads, the ways of the heart. What kind of shape are those roads in in our own hearts? Difficult times for some of us, for families, for God's church and places. What do the inner roads look like? How is the new covenant rearranging those roads in our life? And how will we move together through these days to come? Amen.